Uh, we had a busy weekend in the city. The birds are back on the W train. Had a couple great Sixers games, even though Markel is back. Uh, we got some new faces in the Phillies and the Flyers, and there are some bowl games in college football. This is flying high, a Philly fan's perspective. Send request. Play us in. Welcome in to Flying High, the Philly fans' perspective. I am fresh off flying high through the air in an airplane because I was in Philadelphia last week, and it was a phenomenal weekend, if I may say it to myself. How about it, Justin? Yeah, good weekend. Anytime you get a Birds win, I think, um, you know, they're, they're at 6-6 six and six now. Had to beat this – this one was one we had on our – you know, our list for the last couple of weeks, we said this, this December 3rd game against the Redskins, they had to have it. And that was before they got, you know, just pasted by the saints. Um, and before, before we were kind of getting, gotten really down on this team. So, you know, we knew they had to come in and win last night and now all roads lead to Dallas through Dallas, I should say. So, and that's the truth, man. and I know that I was actually at the game last night, so I did not get the pleasure of listening to the fantastic broadcast on ESPN, but I know you had some thoughts about that. Oh, man, you missed it, baby. It was, uh, oh, it was a good one. It was, uh, I don't Dude, know. Did you see, did you see Booger McFarland riding on the Booger Mobile uh, on, on the side? You know what? I must have missed that gym. <laughs> He, it's weird because they got him and Witten. I'm sorry, they got a testator and Witten in the booth, and then they just have Booger like on a little like lift on the sideline, outside. But they try to act like they're all in the same booth. It's and it gets in the way of all the fans in the front row. So it's just it's so stupid. You know what? Football is actually the one sport where I actually prefer to watch it in the comfort of my own home. I enjoy watching hockey games, um, probably more so than on TV. I like being at, at the arena, hearing the puck reverberate through the uh, arena. Um, I would imagine that I, I don't go to too many basketball games, but I could imagine basketball would be the same. Um, and I like being at the ballpark for baseball games, too. But football is just one that I like to watch in the comfort of my own home. But I have to say, last that was just an absolutely horrific <laughs> Monday night football. I mean, I'm just sitting there. It's just, it's actually a shame that Tony Romo is, um, has a contract with CBS because he'd be terrific on Monday night. Jason Witten is terrible. He oh my God. I've listened to him like three times. He's, uh, people say he sounds like a robot, but he actually sounds like a robot. Like he has absolutely no personality whatsoever. Well, and, and I don't want, I don't mean to bang on him so much either, but he has no, they have no chemistry together whatsoever. It just, you miss the days of like, for God's sakes, you miss Madden and Summerall. I mean, God, and those two were like, now they're like listening to paint dry, but, but I mean, <laughs> they, these two have no chemistry together. Witten talked about Santa Claus twice. It's like, dude, find a new narrative. Like, oh, Jesus. And then, I mean, and then to, he went on this. To be fair, Santa was there and they showed him quite a bit. So I could see why that's a topic of discussion at a football game. Uh, I mean, I guess it's like find a new slant, but, um, and then like, he went on this diatribe about, you know, domestic violence and everything. And then it's like, dude, you were on the team with Greg Hardy and you didn't say a damn thing about when that all went down. So you, know, you just look like the biggest hypocrite throughout that whole thing. So I just, it was just, it was awful. I mean, I was laying on my couch, 
I had to get up early the next day. And just what uh, the announcers are, are supposed to make the game watchable. Those guys, they, they made the game boring. It was a shame. Yeah, I mean, they could probably go back to the days of Johnny Gruden because he's not doing too hot on the field. Maybe he should uh, get back in the booth and take over for Witten. Yo, is that – we have to think. Is that one of the worst – I mean, at least right now. I, I know they got to give him time, but is that right now on, this, on paper looking like one of the worst hirings of all time? I mean, he sold all his best players away for draft picks, so we'll see how that works out. So what, that always goes well. What they give him ten years, and so he's it like he's, ten million a year. Yeah, so he's tearing it down in year one. It takes a long time to rebuild <laughs> in the NFL, so I, he's on like a five-year plan. So let's see how that yeah, works out. And, and they're moving to Las Vegas too, so I'm sure that's going to be an easy transition. Oh, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, but. This is not the Raiders podcast. We don't give a hoot about the Raiders. This no, is the Eagles don't. podcast. So, so let's get back to the game. Um, so I was up there, way up high, watching the game. So I got a real bird's eye view of the whole field. I guess we'll start with the good. Golden Tate finally found a home on this team. He got the big touchdown. That was right in my end zone. He did a sweet worm dance uh, after that. And he should have had another touchdown right there. He looked really good. They finally got him involved in the passing game. That was one of the better worms I've seen, too. I was actually, uh, I haven't seen a worm in a while. So that was. Worm was on point, I'll say. Finally. That was unique, too. I have not seen somebody do that lately. Yeah, no, they're really ramping up the celebrations. But yeah, he was he was six for seventy nine and, and a touchdown. So it was nice to see him finally involved and Carson looking his way. So, um, and now is the time when you're going to need him to step up. This is why we got him to be that impact player. Um, so now is the time for him to be hitting his stride, figuring out his role in the offense, and for the coaches to be getting him more involved. It was nice to see them, uh, you know, at least. Um, you know, I don't know how involved they were, if it was just Carson looking his way more, but it was nice to see that. So we need to see more of that, um, you know, moving forward here. Yeah, and uh, it kind of felt like the first few weeks they were trying to get him involved, but just forcing it in the worst way possible, like the most predictable screen passes, because that was the only thing he knew. Where now he finally knows a few of the plays, and that I mean, he, he did a great job of getting open on that touchdown pass because. Once was going nowhere there, and he found a spot. And if you watch the replay, that pass barely made it through. That was like that close to being picked off. Yeah, I saw it. As soon as he had left his hands, I was like, "Oh no!" And I was thinking, <laughs> "Oh man!" I actually thought, I actually thought it got tipped, or or batted away. And then when I saw Tate come down with it, I was like, "Wow, he caught that!" I was actually kind of surprised that he, he Carson fitted through a very tight window. So it was like it was a, it was equally as good of a pass as it was a catch. Yeah, it was it was like a fingertip away. So they they got it through. That's all that matters. Um, Jordan Matthews got a touchdown too, which was uh, kind of surprising. Um, it looked like he almost dropped the ball, but I guess he got a touchdown. So good for him. I've always liked Jordan Matthews. I always felt like he didn't get a fair shake here under Chip Kelly. I always thought he was a good, reliable receiver. You know, when the Eagles brought him back, I was actually fine with it. He knows the offense. He's familiar with the city. I mean, I just, I just think he never got really a fair shake, and he had some unfortunate injuries in Buffalo. Um, I, I think he's a he's a fine receiver. I, I think he's a guy you can throw out there 
and he had some drop issues early on in his career here. But in in fairness to him, he was also asked to do quite a lot after Jeremy Macklin was gone. So he's never he was never going to be a number one. But you see what kind of he can he can contribute on a team where he doesn't have to be the number one of a number two. Yeah, but there were talks of uh, like that Golden Tate was going to be that rental option, and then they would re-sign Jordan Matthews. Is it really worth it to bring him back? As for the option, is Jordan Matthews a guy that you're willing to bring back over someone like Golden Tate and spend a little more money for him? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think we have to kind of see how the rest of the season goes with 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 Tate and what he does. Um, with what we're paying Tate, I would like to. I would like to. See, I would like to keep. I mean. His track record is obviously better than Jordan Matthews, so I would like to see uh, Tate take a you know another step forward for the rest of the season and have him become um, that guy behind Aguilar or you know even behind Jeffrey and have that like three headed monster of of Jeffrey Aguilar and and Golden Tate and then you got Zach Ertz. I mean, this is what we were kind of hoping for when we signed him would to have these four guys who you can go to at any time and then you have Carson back there so Jordan Matthews is a nice addition he's a nice piece he's he's a he's a supplemental piece uh you know obviously I I would think if we can keep him it would be nice I, I'm not going to be upset if we don't yeah and speaking of three-headed monsters the running game was back to a three-headed monster with Sproles back in action he got that touchdown but uh Doug stuck to Josh Adams getting 20 carries for 85 yards and uh Clement only got five carries but something I noticed by being there is that Clement was on the field for a lot of plays so I don't it felt like he was on the field more than Adams which was kind of frustrating because though Adams got his 20 carries he never really got into a rhythm and they run like one terrible play on fourth and one on the one yard line for him. Doesn't make sense to me. I like that Spurs got that touchdown when he did, but I thought Adam should have been on the field on that play. Yeah, I think that you're seeing that. I don't know if Josh Adams is is going to be a terrific short yardage back. I, he, I, I, the team hasn't done a great job putting him, him in a position to excel there, but I just don't know if that's what he is. I think he excels a lot more in between the 20s, and he picks up chunk yardage. He's a hard runner, and you saw that last night. They gave him 20 carries. He picked up almost 100 yards at 15 shy, but he can get you those hard, like Garrett Blunt yards you know what i mean but he's just not they haven't really figured out how to use him in the red zone yet so i think i'm listen you keep in my opinion you keep giving this guy the ball between the 20s you saw last night how a run game can wear a team down it wore the redskins down it kept the offense on the field um and you saw that when they went away from the run they had they were still having some problems i think carson looks like a second year quarterback this year you know he didn't really look like that last year he, he kind of skipped that sophomore slump I guess you could say and, and I think this year it's not like he's having a slump I mean we all know I think what you're seeing is a player who came back from a two-year injury after a year I think that's really what you're seeing here well uh, I guess we'll transition over the negative because I uh, what I saw out of Carson last night like 
it was incredibly disappointing. He he was missing a lot of open guys. He missed Ertz on a wide open pass. And my God, when he threw that freaking interception in the red zone, I darn near vomited. Like it was just a trope. Like how do you do that? How do you throw it? So it was like a flashback to Marshawn Lynch. Just run the freaking ball instead of having Lynch throw it behind Jeffrey. It, it was. That's, yeah, he, I almost lost it there. I really did. It was a really, really bad, bad decision. He's had a couple of those head-scratching decisions this year, just really poor poor decisions with the ball and uh, that have resulted in interceptions. And, uh, you know, again, I, I can't bang on Carson too bad. I, I do think he's going to be fine in the long run. It's a two-year injury. He came back in a year. I think we all had some high expectations. Perhaps they were too high, but – you still have you still seen flashes of brilliance from him, so you know it's there. So I'm not getting super worried about Carson Wentz, but yeah, he hasn't looked like Carson Wentz. He hasn't looked like the MVP candidate from last year. I think a lot of that is to be expected, and we need to understand that the offense is different. It's a team coming off of the Super Bowl. They they you know we've we've talked about all the things that have contributed to this team kind of underperforming this year. It's not just Carson; he's a part of it, but it's not just him. So, but. What I what I do think is that you're you're seeing a little bit of he's he's finally experienced a little bit of a sophomore slump. It just happens to occur in a year where he's coming off a huge injury. So the fact that he's put up the numbers that he has, I think, is still pretty amazing. You know, he was 27 for 39, 306 yards, two TDs, an INT, a bad INT, but yeah, you know, that's true. But I I look at those numbers and I think that those numbers are not fabricated, but. I don't know what it is. When you watch him on the field, the numbers don't add up to the performance. Like, what I wanted to see was Carson come out on a Monday night game. This is a primetime game. Have to win it to make the playoffs. It's as close to a playoff game as you can get without putting in the playoffs. And again, he kind of disappointed. Like, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable throwing him out there in a, even a wild card game and saying, you know, this guy can lead us to victory. It's, it's the running game that helped him get some of those numbers, but when he relies on passing on his own, he can't hit the open guy. My God, when he threw it at that guy's ankles, it was like tra- traumatic flashbacks to Don McNabb throwing at people's ankles. Like Everybody was just freaking out. It, it was not good. It wasn't good. Yeah, I, th- I think I agree with you. Before I make my point, I'm just curious. What was the, like, what was the atmosphere like in the stands? That's a good question. It was weird, you know, because the last time I was there was the NFC Championship game, and it does not get more electric than that ever. So it's kind of like I've reached a peak, and it'll never be quite that great. Um, but even even the parking lot was disappointing to me. There's not a ton of electricity and excitement going on during the tailgates. Now, it was cool. We hung up at the Monday Night Countdown spot, and that, that was cool just to watch. But, like, it wasn't like... Even the Eagles chants weren't overly powering. Um, and oh, yeah, I don't know, man. The stadium, it didn't fill up till like three minutes before kickoff. And it was loud, but there were definitely dull moments. And it, it's tough to tell. It's really tough to tell. I was trying to scream my loudest, but I don't know if everybody else was doing their same. Mm, that's interesting. Um yeah, well, I was just curious uh, to see, you know, if, if what if people were kind of thinking the same thing we were about Carson. But I think I'd agree with you. Oh, about know. Carson? About yeah. Carson? Hold up. 
I can say, I don't know about the whole stadium, but there was somebody behind me who really loved Carson because he was trying to find every excuse for Carson not to be a bad player. Like on that interception, he was blaming Alshon Jeffrey for running the route. <laughs> and then got it, missed one, and he said that got it was a terrible traffic. And I'm to, like, that guy's just an idiot. He doesn't get it. He doesn't understand. I, I get that it's not all Carson's fault, but you can't, you cannot blame that interception on a bad route. Yeah. Well, and I think I have to agree with, go back and agree with what you were saying before. I think the eye test is not matching the stats, right? I think the, the stats make it look a lot prettier than what we are seeing with our eyes. And, you know, if, if you know football, um, I think when you watch Carson, you, yes, it's those bad plays that stand, that stand out the most because we didn't see that a lot last year. We, we saw, we saw it sometimes, but he was so good last year that that what we're seeing this year is just a such a market difference. I think um, that it's so hard because I, I honestly, I, I still think he's he's the same player in a lot of ways. He's still such a good quarterback, but you're seeing a lot of just the mental mistakes. I think is is what's happening out there. Like you said, the underthrowing players overthrowing players and the interceptions. He was always due for interception regression, though. That's the thing. I mean, and that was going to come at some point. So I'd almost rather it happen now than happen later. I mean, he's, he was never going to he was never going to carry that interception rate from last year, you know, into every year. It's, it's going to catch up to you at some point. I mean, uh, yeah, I agree uh, to some point. I just think that uh, the city might have been too quick to, like, label him our, like our lord and savior and that's a lot of pressure kid from north dakota like he came from i know that i've said this before and i could be repeating myself and blah, 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 but he came from north dakota state he's a great player don't get me wrong but he might have just caught fire with a really good team that caught fire last year and he could be like an aaron Rodgers type player it's just uh, it, it's too early to tell, man. It's early to tell. Uh, yeah, I know. I don't. I don't. I don't want us to get into this. This where we start yeah. Carson. Let's I not. Like, I, let's I, not. I feel like that's going to take us down a bad road. I yeah. Think, I think let's just focus on positive here. I got a positive <laughs> yeah. for you. So we're at the game, and uh, you know they make the stop, and there's like buzz going around that like Mark Sanchez is warming up. And lo and behold, Colt McCoy gets knocked out of the game, and our boy, Mark Sanchez, but man, enters the game. And that's when it was over. I was, like, licking my chops. I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, bring him in. Bring in the Sanchez. I was like, man, this – because you knew coming in, like, you were – we were all already saying, like, if Colt McCoy beats us, like, I'm going to go walk into the <laughs> Delaware River, right? Yes, like, yes. So oh, we're ready to do that. So then Mark Sanchez comes in, and you're like, win, right? So, I mean, yeah, it was, it was, it was, really, it was really funny. It was so ready, and then he lines up on the one yard line or whatever, and you have to know that Sanchez is on the ball off. He can't like anybody picked out of the stands could be a better quarterback than Mark Sanchez, and somehow we get fooled on a 90 yard touchdown run to Adrian Peterson, who's like 20 years past his prime. Uh, and you're watching that, and you're like, you've got to be kidding me. He's not going to stop. He's going to go. That was like that was like. Like, you can see at the 30, and I said very high up, so you could just see that there was absolutely no reinforcements there. So I, I just sat back and was like, here we 
freaking go. Oh, like, that was that was, that that turned my stomach, and then it was. I must I must comment on uh, ESPN first because I've read about this. They put Will Kane on, who is like an openly public Cowboys fan, diehard rooting for the Cowboys, talk shit on the Eagles all the time. They put him on to talk about the NFC East battle, which seems a little um, non-biased to say the least. And he goes and he says that Adrian Peterson ran all over the Eagles. Dude. <laughs> 90 yards, yeah. 90 yards. That's not running all over the freaking team. Oh, come, give me a break. I mean, I only pay attention to that stuff. <laughs> he had 90 yards and then he had eight yards after that. So I don't want to hear about it. They're clearly focusing on the Cowboys audience right there because that was giving them like 80% chance to win that game. I don't know, we'll see. Uh, but you know, the defense is good last night. I mean, Douglas had a pretty good game. He had a uh, touchdown saving play as well. He had one really not a good play, but he made up for three in a row that were pretty good. And, you know, Cravion, Cravion, is that what his first name is? Yeah, Cravion Bell. Yeah. Cravion Bell LeBlanc. Yeah. He actually had a really good game, I'm not going to lie. Like, he got called for a BS pass interference because it seemed like the rest were out to get us to start the game. Uh, but aside from that, like he was pretty solid, and I think Mills is set to come back next week, if I'm not mistaken, and you might get uh, Maddox back as well. So you got to give it up to Chandon and uh, Trey Sullivan and all those guys for somehow making it through this uh, this little injury bug. No doubt. I said that last week that I thought those guys did a really good job, and, and they held their own again this week. And I don't think it was the tallest of tasks, but all you had to do was not get beat by an inferior team, and they didn't do that. So, and and, and there were times when it looked hairy. Obviously, um, they didn't allow, you know, they, they didn't allow a passing touchdown, did they? I don't, I don't believe so. Uh, so there wasn't really a quarterback in, but no. Yeah. So they, they, you know, they held their own. They did fine. So uh, thank you for your service. Uh, let's get some of those healthy guys back, and um, you know, the, the backups will become backups again. So. Yeah, that sounds about right. So, so looking forward, got the Cowboys next week. Uh, what do you think's the biggest concern going into that game? Well, I think that this is the season. You know, this this is the season, and uh, I think we felt very confident coming into the last game, and. Look what happened, right? I thought we think I think we thought that, that we were a better team than Dallas. Dallas has, has surprised uh, a lot of people, um, and you know we're going to be in Dallas this time. You know we had our chance when they came up here, and uh, unfortunately we blew it. So now we got to go down there and do the thing. So nothing really has changed in my mind. We need to go down and beat a team that I don't think is as good as they are playing. I think they are playing over their heads right now. I think Jason Garrett's done, and this pains me to say it, has done a really nice job coaching them this year, even though I think he's the most overrated coach possibly of all time next to Jeff Fisher. But he's done a nice job, and they have done what they needed to do and beat the teams that they needed to beat, including us, and we have not. So... We just need to go there and take care of business. And I think I said before, I thought we needed to beat them emphatically. We haven't been doing that. And I don't think that we are going to start crushing teams. We just need to win. Just win, baby. And you know what? You need to 
You need to stop Dak Prescott, number one. He can't – you know what this team wants to do. They want to come out and throw slants. They want to let Zeke run, all right? So you know what, Jim Schwartz, I'm talking to you. Maybe we play a little press coverage here in this game, okay? Maybe we stop lining up seven yards off of – maybe we learn from, from our mistakes last time and stop giving these receivers space so they can just kill us on first down and end up with second and five, second and four every single time and just let Zeke eat up that yardage. Maybe we do something different. No, I would say the thing is bring pressure because if there's any sort of heat on Prescott, he just freaks out and throws the ball away. First plays 15 yards off, and when he rushes barely even four, you give him time. Cooper's going to get open eventually when you're playing the zone coverage. He was doing it again last night when he was playing those guys so far back, and it's just like... The only way you're going to beat Prescott is to get a hand in his face because he, he doesn't know how to deal with pressure. No, he doesn't. And I think it, this is the game where the yeah, the front four has to – they have to have their best game. If, if this is the season, you have to win this game. If you don't win this game, it's – you know, you guys will pack it in for the rest of the season because you're not – we're a game back. If you win this game, you're, you're in first place and you control your destiny. You know what? The Rams game is going to be tough, yes, but you beat Houston and you beat the Redskins because you're going to beat the Redskins a second time. They're done. So you beat it. It's it's really it's Dallas and it's Houston. So those are you have to go. You have to go three and one down the stretch. Yep. But uh, first, you got to get Dallas. That's all I can say. I, I like. I don't think I can handle the Dallas fans if they win again. I really don't think I can do that. I was quite unbearable after the Saints game. Like you refresh your Facebook page, and it's just like all the Cowboys fans coming out of hiding. Like they haven't said one thing about the team all year, and then they're like, "Oh, who are we doubting now?" Like, are you kidding Still me? That- Still them boys, baby. Still them boys. Yeah, I can see the dust on your freaking jacket. Okay, you have not been rooting for this team all year when you're calling to fire your coach and get rid of your starting quarterback. Now he's got and Van Der Esch is the greatest thing ever to happen since sliced bread. All those Dallas Cowboys starter jackets are starting to get... uh, Yeah, I... they, they, they beat the Saints. I don't know how Drew Brees forgot. That, that too. I have no idea how that happened. I have no idea how that happened. I know we, it was 10 nothing when we were on here, and I was convinced it was still going to be like a 45-10 game. And instead, Drew Brees forgot how to play football after playing 10 weeks of MVP caliber football. So that makes zero sense to me. Yeah, you knew that team was due for regression, but of course it has to come against our bitter rival, you know, so and, and messing messing with our mojo for the rest of the season. So thanks, Drew. We appreciate that. Yeah, that was that was literally like I, that was part of the plan is they had to lose, but they didn't. But it's okay because we're going to Dallas, so we'll see how it goes. We we gotta get off the topic of Eagles because they're just like I don't know, man. There's moments where I think they have it, and then. And then you watch something happen, like the interception. It's like, in a big game, that's going to come back to bite you in the ass. But let's start at the Sixers again and see if we can figure out what the hell neurogenetic thoracic. What is it? Neurogenic thoracic. Is that thoracic? Thoracic outlet syndrome. (laughs) Neurogenic thoracic outlet syndrome. Dude, they're making this shit up. There's no way that's real. 
Uh, dude, I've never heard. I, I, I tweeted out that sounds fake. Like, I don't think that. This another bizarre turn and another, and just a series of bizarre turns for this franchise and for this kid, man. It's, I don't know any other way to put it anymore. It's just, is this even, is this real? Is this a real thing? I, it can't be. It looks like neurogenic sounds like something with the brain, but then the last. I can't even say that word, but thoracic sounds something with the throat. So does he have an issue with his throat? Is that what's going on? I I just Googled it. So neurogenic thoracic outlet syndrome. This form of of thoracic outlet syndrome is characterized by compression of the brachial plexus. The brachial plexus... So the brachial plexus is the, is like the bundle of nerves that control your arm essentially. Um, so the the brachial plexus is a network of nerves that come from your spinal cord and control muscle movements and sensation in your shoulder, arm, and hand. So, so he's having essentially like nerve issues that with with his shoulder is what I'm getting from this. So the nerves, the bundle of nerves that control his shoulder are being, I, I don't, compressed, which isn't obviously good for nerves. And so he's, ex- he's experiencing either pain, loss of motor function, or loss of sensation, things like that, that are causing him to, is, you know, obviously to struggle with shooting and other movements. <laughs> I don't even know how to digest that, man. Get him off the bench. Why don't you visit the doctors and keep coming up with big words for us and move out TJ McConnell will actually play basketball? Shocking, right? The funny thing is, is it actually sounds like a legit thing. I mean, the Mayo Clinic is has a big whole overview on it. Um, it, it at least seems legit. Um, I, there's a lot of information here. I mean, you can get numbness in your fingertips, pain or aches in your neck, shoulder, or hand, weakening grip, muscle wasting in the fleshy base of your thumb. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, these are things that can definitely mess with a, a professional athlete. I mean, I can see how it might it would be legit if this is a legitimate diagnosis. It's just, I think it's more of the fact that we're just like, we want this saga to end. So maybe this is a good thing. Maybe he gets a diagnosis. Maybe he gets a treatment plan and we can fix this thing and get this kid back on the court. You just have to, you have to ask, you have to wonder like how mentally drained is he at this point? I mean, it's going way back to ask, but, like, why do you say he was okay if he had this? Why do you say he was fine, like, three different times? Why does the team not know that he's injured? And how the hell do you even get this? How did this happen? Uh, you, you, if, you're, if you're experiencing any of these symptoms, like, if you're, like, if, if, if my boss if, asks me, like, if I have numbness in my fingertips, like, I'm not going to lie about it. I'm going to say, yeah, my fingertips are numb. I probably should go see the doctor. Or I'm experiencing pain in my shoulder. As a professional athlete, I just don't get why you wouldn't disclose that information unless he's being told not to. I, I can't understand why. Uh, I don't know. I don't have an answer. Uh, I mean, every week it's the same thing. The only person who knows is Markel, and we're never going to get a straight story out of him because he tells us a different story every time. But something that I noticed was in his lack of presence on the bench, this team is absolutely thriving. Uh, the chemistry seemed better than ever. TJ McConnell is 
what he's six foot two he was like a little point guard at arizona was he even drafted? I don't even know if he was drafted, but somehow he's playing better than our number one overall pick. Doesn't make sense, but we're not going to question it because we won three in a row. Um, I was at that we did a podcast before that the next game, right? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, well, they don't have a player with a name. Hey, I literally didn't notice anybody on their team or their coach. Wizards, did you get to catch? Because I was at a concert that night, and all I saw was that we were just asking this question. So, with, uh, who? Was John Wall playing? Uh, yeah, I think he was playing. Um, they, yeah, it was, it was, that was, that was the game we were kind of like waiting for them to, to break out and it came at a good time. And I saw a hilarious tweet and almost lost. It was like someone tweeted, well, then the, the, the wizards are back within 30. <laughs> and I was just losing my mind on Twitter. They were just, <laughs> they were just walloping though. It was kind of sad to see. It was actually the first game that I kind of switched to something else because I was like, well, I mean, there's really kind of, I mean, there's really kind of no point in watching, a blowout. And it's funny because we have been complaining that, oh man, like one of these guys going to get in a blowout. And of course, the first time they get in a blowout, I turn it off. So uh, I'm a bad fan in that way. But um, <laughs> now, I mean, it, but it, it was nice to see them like insert their, assert their dominance. Yeah. Team, you know what I mean? No. No, we deserve the blowout. We've seen enough blown third quarters. Yes. Yeah, pretty well. Yeah, I must be so behind. Yeah, can you hear me? Uh, yes, I can. It's just, it's still, it's falling behind. No worries. Um, you want to jump right to? Uh, should we do Segura next? I'll cut right in. Uh, yeah, whatever you want to do next. I mean, uh, actually. So let's do the Flyers. I'll let you talk about that. Yeah, I'll let you talk about that. All right. Um, so come back in now. All right. Now we'll transition over to the Flyers. You know, they got rid of Hextall, uh, hired Chuck Fletcher. And the other thing that I saw was that Fletcher said that um, Dave Hextall is safe. He said he's not going to fire him tomorrow. So he's got at least one day left as the coach. But I know you wrote, you wrote an article on 215. So uh, what are your thoughts on all this right now? Man, a lot of stuff happened since I know we broke down the, the Hextall firing. And, it, and things we kind of, we kind of did our last podcast in a weird spot because at that point, we didn't know anything yet. We didn't know. We didn't know really why Hextall had been fired uh, because Paul Holmgren and Dave Scott hadn't had their press conference yet, and then Hextall had his own press conference, which is even more bizarre, right? It's when is when do you ever see a a fired executive hold his own press conference, right? It's it's uncommon. So here's basically everything that unfolded. Uh, Paul Holmgren and Dave Scott basically hold their press conference, and they cite philosophical differences between. Uh, upper management and Hextall and basically say that Ron Hextall was unyielding in his plan. And so a lot of us at that point were basically left to believe that you know, the team was floundering. Hextall wasn't willing to make a move. And so upper management felt that in the wake of, you know, 
empty seats at the at the state at, you know at the rink which is a huge issue and not selling merchandise and all these things people aren't going to games basically so they made a business decision uh in in light of that basically to you know move on from from the hextall regime you know Hexall did a wonderful job stocking the pantry and and getting us picks and prospects and and really he did just a wonderful job of getting us out of the salary cap problems that we had under Paul Holmgren as GM. But it's it's been four years of mediocrity and it's been four years of the same. And so I think this year was supposed to be better and upper management really just felt that it wasn't going to get any better under Hextall. And so Dave Scott and Paul Holmgren informed him that he was relieved of his duties and that was it. But then you start to hear all this stuff coming out, right? And, and I cited the, 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 this article from Anthony Sanfilippo, uh, who he wrote this piece on CrossingBroad.com, basically s- citing sources within the organization who would remain anonymous. He protects his sources, but saying that the, you know, the, the culture under Hextall was, was, a, was a lot worse than I think the fans and the media knew about and in the ways that he was very controlling. He, he tried to control a lot of aspects of the team behind closed doors, things like controlling the team's diet, um, controlling, you know, he brought in a dietitian, controlling, you know, who was able to enter the locker room, you know, preventing access to alumni, things that had kind of always been allowed on, you know, with, with older flyers, regimes. And I, I think Hextall really wanted to shut the door on a lot of those things. And he kept a very tight circle. He didn't, you know, basically these, these sources led us to believe that he, he wasn't really communicating with upper management. He knew what he wanted to do and he wasn't going to share his plan or really kind of deviate from that at all. So was there, was there issues with the players as well? Or was he just like clashing with upper management? I don't think that there was issues with players, but what these sources are, if, if all this is true, essentially this, it, they're saying that, that Hextall ran such a tight ship that it, that, and it made the building kind of it, like a suffocating environment, you know? Um, and a lot of people didn't like that he shut off the locker room to alumni. And, and I think there probably, I don't, there, there probably was a little bit of player resentment regarding the ways he tried to control their diets and things like that. And how he, you know, there was talk that he publicly berated players who would grab pizza after games and things like that. And he was just such a creature of habit and he knew exactly what he wanted to do. And he was very, very committed to his process. And I think that rubbed some people the wrong way. Um, what, you know, I think a lot of people thought that his major downfall was going to be that he, he hitched himself to, to Dave Haxall. But then, you know, this article goes on to say that, you know, he was so overprotective of this coach or he was so controlling that he almost was like a micromanager. So it now calls into question how, you know, what these these roster moves, these these personnel decisions, who was it really who was really making these decisions? Was it Axel? Was it Hextall? It it calls into question a lot of things, but it did not paint Ron Hextall in a very good light. And I think that's why he chose to have his own press conference that Friday. <laughs> so you know, it's fitting. That's like that's a very uh, it's a very Chip Kellyan thing to do to just like declare your press conference. Where do you have it? Do you have it at his driveway? Did I hear? 
<laughs> no, that was funny. Someone tweeted that. No, he had it like the. Uh, okay, I thought, I thought you said he held it at his driveway. No, he he had it. That's like going full two O. I know he had it at like the Windgate Hotel or something along those lines, and you know it was very clear to me. And I wrote this in my piece at Section Two One Five that he was very emotional. I, I think I do believe that Hextall wanted to get this done here at Philadelphia. He was he's a lo- he's a legend here. He wanted to win a Stanley Cup here. I do believe that, and I do believe that he was trying to make the team better. But he, his plan was in, 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 in the it, it, it was so successful in so many ways, but it was also a failure with the on-ice product. The on-ice team, the team that's on the ice every night is just not getting better. The goalie tandem is awful. Um, the defensemen aren't thriving. And that's, that's another thing, too, that was in the article, was that, he, that Gord Murphy, the defensive coach who was fired, there was – a source that said that he was like the eyes and ears in the locker room who would report back to Hextall and kind of just Jesus like, Christ. I know, man, it's weird. It's, it's weird. Listen, and, and I, I keep prefacing, like, if this is it's true, like authoritarian bullshit. Right. And, and so that's why I keep prefacing, like, if this is true, it's very, it's very revealing. So, and there's always two sides to a story. I kind of think that, you know, Hextall was doing a little tug of war with, with, the upper management with their press conferences, both sides trying to come out, you know, like the cleanest. So I, I think the truth is somewhere in the middle. I think we may never know, but I, the, I think that the organization was justified in moving on from Hextall uh, in, in that he wasn't going to do, I think what needed to be done in order to get the team back to relevancy soon enough to, to, to recapture this, the attention of this fan base. And that is what's really happening right now is that people aren't going to games. People aren't watching, people aren't buying merchandise. And this is a a franchise that has long been a staple in this city. And it's for that building to not be filled every night is, is a bad sign. Yeah. They used to sell that out like almost every game. Like it was the Sixers that were the joke. And I can't think back to a time when flyers, it was like, go to a Flyers game, there's going to be more energy there than the Sixers. And it was like the first time that it's flip-flopped. It's, 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 yeah, it's not great. It's not great right now. And, and so I believe that is, I 100% believe that is a big reason why upper management decided to make this move. It's not often you see a GM get ousted in the middle of the season. It's very hard to replace a GM in season. Um, but the Flyers will segue. The Flyers have done just that. They've hired Chuck Fletcher as their GM, uh, who's former Minnesota Wild GM. Um, so uh, I don't, you know, I really haven't uh, sat down and really gotten my thoughts together regarding Fletcher. It's a rather safe move. One thing that kind of sticks out to me is that, you know, Holmgren and Scott both said that they were looking for a GM with a bias for making moves. So they uh, they clearly want to, they want to deviate from the Hextall regime, which was very passive, very patient. Um, I, I'm a little hesitant to go back to the old Holmgren, like Wild Wild West era, where it was like load up at every free agency deadline or, or trade deadline and, and load up in the offseason every time the free agency hit. I'm a little hesitant to go back to that. So I hope that Fletcher is going to be somewhere in the middle. Um, making smart moves, making smart additions, but being okay with, you know, sending away a pick or a prospect or two, if it helps our team now. It doesn't mean you have to unload everything. It just means you have to be willing to part with something. 
So if he's willing to do that, I think this team can find success. They do have the pieces to be successful now. Uh, yeah, so only time's going to tell. Uh, do you think that they can write the ship this season? Or is it, is it a little too late? Is this, it's kind of a hot mess there right now. Well, I'll tell you, they got a nice win against Pittsburgh on Saturday. What What is going to be very telling to me is if this team does turn it around. Because we have the fans have been under the impression that this has been a coaching problem, that Dave Haxall is not the right coach. And I, I still don't think Dave Haxall is the right coach. But I'll tell you what, man, if they turn it around and they start playing really well, which could happen, that is a even deeper indictment on Hextall. Because that that means he was holding this coaching staff back, so I don't. I, and again, I don't know if that's going to be true or not. I would I would be surprised. I still think this coaching staff is going to have some turnover. Ian Laperriere needs to be long gone. Um, I think there's going to be turnover on the on the coaching staff, and I think justifiably so. But I think if it, if it comes out that oh, actually Dave Haxall can coach, he was just being really held back by his general manager. Then man, that's I think a lot of fans are going to be pretty ticked off. Yeah, but if they turn it around this year, at least they're playing well during the season, and Hextall's gone. So only time will tell, as with everything else going on in the city right now, we know nothing. Yep. But one thing we do know is that our Temple Owls, my Temple Owls, not your Temple Owls, my Temple Owls, no, not my mom. Make- <laughs> we made the Independence Bowl. It's not a bad bowl game. It uh, takes place in Louisiana. Uh, playing the Duke Blue Devils, so nice ACC competition. I'm a little bummed that they didn't get that military bowl game because that was going to be uh, right down the road from me. I was going to be home so I could go see it. And also, I'm really ticked off that Cincinnati, uh, Cincinnati got that game over them because, uh, once again, we beat Cincinnati. And uh, Cincinnati also did not compete as well against uh, UCF. But that proves that you can't lose uh, the BS games early in the season to Villanova um, and to Buffalo. Like Somehow that absolutely destroyed this season. And then your Penn State Nittany Lions are playing Kentucky in the Citrus Bowl in another um, season that was supposed to end in the college playoff final four, whatever. You all choked. Uh, you lost games you shouldn't have. And your coach let you down once again. So you'll be spending, I believe it's December 29th in Orlando playing the Citrus Bowl against the Kentucky Wildcats. Any thoughts? I honestly forgot Kentucky had a football team. Hey, hey, they're good this season. I, I swear to God, that's not a sarcastic statement. I know it's very hard to say that. Kentucky football was good this season. They competed against LSU for like five minutes. So, and they, they, they got all the way up to number nine. So, don't be ashamed. It's a good game. I know you're sad, but nonetheless, if you guys win, it's still impressive. That's the life of a Penn State fan, to be honest with you. They'll probably go and kick the ever-living crap out of Kentucky and win 49 to 12, and, you know, all, they'll be ranked 11th next year, and which is probably too high. And so, you know, the cycle, the cycle of life goes on. Uh, good news is USC is keeping their curse, so you guys got Franklin for at least another year. So enjoy that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's such a great recruiter, though, you know? So, I mean, hey, it, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying anymore. He, he, yeah. he, I, I'm actually, you know, James, if, if I'm going to get on my soapbox here, look, James Franklin's done a really nice job there. He dug that team out of purgatory with, with everything that they dealt with. You know, O'Brien quit on them. And so, I don't know. 
it's he did a really nice job, and I think he was the beneficiary of a really good offensive coordinator, and I think he was a little bit exposed this year. Uh, the defensive coordinator didn't do them any favors. Brent Pride hasn't had his best year, but uh, before they won that Big Ten championship, I was kind of on the fire James Franklin train, and so we'll see what he does next year. He loses his his you know all-time French, you know, he, what do you call it? Record-setting quarterback. He lost Saquon Barkley last year, so he's going to have a bear. He's going to he's going to have some new you know blood to, to work in next year. So we'll see if what he's made of. Yeah, that'll definitely be uh, his season to prove whether he can actually coach or not. All right, let's just touch the Phillies real quick before we wrap this bad boy up. Finally acquired somebody. Got uh, John Segura from the Mariners. Um, I, I'm a little bit ticked off because Comcast, I'm sorry, what is it now? NBC Sports Philly, they changed their name. They only showed me one play of him over like the past two days, and he made a nice diving play. But they acquired him, they finally got rid of J.P. Crawford, who could not field nor hit. So I don't know why Seattle wanted him, but piece and then Scott Ray Carlos Santana who's going to be big money and that opens up the spot for Reese Hoskins so this move actually works out very well without getting either of the big name players and it opens up for either uh, Machado to go to third or there's a spot in the outfield now for Harper so all's yeah. good this is a great move I mean I, I think as a Phillies fan you, this is a really nice it's sort of like an appetizer right it's a really great appetizer you get an all-star shortstop um for the people that believed that didn't believe that J.P. Crawford was going to be a, a future player here, um, yeah, I wonder what the Mariners are, are thinking there. Especially since they came basically came out and said they they they're not even guaranteeing that he's going to be their their guy on opening day. So that's a little interesting. But they're and yeah, I feel I feel very bad for Seattle. Like, they kind of sit in the shadows to begin with, and then they make a move like this. Like, are, are they trying to help their team? They got rid of Cano, too. Like, are they trying to help their team, or are they just trying to, like, disappear into nothing? And yeah, they had a really good year, too. I mean, they, they kind of came from obscurity, and they were they were in the hunt all year. So um, I don't really know what their rebuild plan is, but I don't know how uh, Santana helps them. And, you know, maybe, maybe Crawford ends up becoming a really nice player. I, mean, I don't think he can hit major league pitching. But, uh, you know, maybe they can develop him a little faster than we can. So I don't know. But Segura is great. You know, he's an all-star. That's an area where we really struggled last year defensively. And now, yeah, like if you want to go after Machado, you're you're looking at putting him at third base. If he wants to play there, he's kind of been on record saying he doesn't want to play there. But then I wonder what happens with Franco. So and and I'm I'm kind of – I like Michael Franco – a hell of a lot more than I like Odubel Herrera, so I, I would really, I really want them to think about that if they're gonna if they're gonna move Franco. I would just I really like him to consider if it's for Machado. Yes, you do it. Obviously, like if you if you ship out Franco and bring out Machado, yeah, you do that. Um, and then you go get Bryce Harper. I'm I'm in. So yeah, I feel I feel Machado is not gonna come if he doesn't want to play. Base though, now that there's a shortstop, so that kind of helps that issue, I guess. I just for Harper right now because left field Hoskins moves into first base. You have a third baseman in Franco who finally showed promise. He did what J.P. Crawford couldn't and went from prospect to player. There's a spot in the outfield, and we need a freaking home run hitter. So Bryce Harper, no. 
I mean, I think he's got to be the guy that's that now at the top of your list. Now that you went and got a shortstop, I think he has to be the top of your list. I I think they still need to be talking to both guys 100%. But I think now you've 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 made your infield correction, right? You've brought in your infield. Um, you you've brought in your infield re- improvement. Now you go and fix your outfield. Okay, you bring in Reese. You let your outfield be Harper, Quinn, and Williams, and just be done with it. All right. And you fix your outfield, and now you've got your all-star shortstop at at you know at shortstop, duh. And then you know you still have Hernandez at second base. I really like Kingery there instead, but you're dealing with Hernandez for a little bit longer unless you can offload him somehow. So, but I think it's starting to take shape. I think the next move has to be. It's probably I think they're going to be a, it's going to be a pitcher, but I think after that it's got to be the move. You've got to move on Harper Machado relatively soon here because I think you're starting to see free agencies. It's getting the hot stove is getting hot. Yeah, and you know Patrick Corbin was in on Wednesday, and there's been talks about uh, Andrew Miller, Jay Happ today, Madison Bumgarner. So I feel like there's a pitcher definitely common, and then I mean they're they're, they're calling. They're calling for Harper, man. I don't know. Harper Trout, 2020. I want to see it. They were calling for Trout at the Eagles game. Uh, what What's it? Uh, Nola and Hoskins were there calling for Trout. So could you just imagine like Harper, Trout, Segura, all those guys doing it up in 2020? Uh, can you afford that? I mean, if you already are, if yeah. you're already paying Trout. Harper... Four hundred million. I mean, can you can you afford to pay Trout? <laughs> uh, I don't know, but this team clearly seems like they want to spend. They've been very. Um, that, that's like their thing. They're the team that's going to spend. So why not go for two big outfielders and then do some sort of magic to work it out? I'm not saying, but we can remain hopeful, right? Oh, absolutely. I, I think. I think we have a better chance of getting Harper than Machado, even though I keep hearing that the organization wants Machado more. Um, I just don't. That know. makes no sense. No. It why, make why, sense would you want, they, why would you want to bring in a guy that literally openly said, I am not going to hustle? Uh, and uh, I believe that was at the World Series, which is the highest stage of baseball you can ever get to, but you don't want to hustle there? Yeah, I mean, we dealt with that with Jimmy Rollins, though, too, early on in his career. So uh, it doesn't bother me nearly as much as as the moment when he said it. It bothered me more than it does now. Um, But I I just think Harper is feels a a bigger need for you than if you were to bring in Machado to play third, where you already have a decent defensive third baseman. Um, And you can go out and get Harper and, and just fix that ridiculous outfield situation that you have. And you know what? You move on from guys like Adubo Herrera. You bring Reese in to play his natural position. Just make the right moves. That's all I'm asking the Phillies to do right now. You don't have to go out and get both guys. You want to do it? Great. I'm all in, 100%. You pay that luxury tax, baby. But just, I think, in my mind, you need to go out and get Harper. And I think the uh, theme of today's show is we'll see because we don't know yet and everything is up in the air. We, in fact, know nothing. That is the damn truth. Justin, as always, I thank you for all the effort you put into this show. It's always a pleasure. (laughs) It's 
Always a pleasure. All right, this has been Flying High Faith Fans Perspective. We'll be back next week without a field trip to Philadelphia, so we'll be ready to go. Send the quest place out. So tell me, run